0: Hello and welcome to episode 143 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Moen from washedupemo.com. Today, I'm honored to have Lauren Maybury from the band Churches. Lauren and I connected a few years ago and finding out that she listened to the podcast. The stars aligned and we finally caught up recently to chat ourselves. Lauren is a massive emo fan. We chat deeply about her early days playing drums and bands around Glasgow, Scotland. It helped shape who she is today. Choosing a couple killer bands, including Boyfriend, Girlfriend, and a band called Blue Sky Archives. Both are mathy, epic, and remind me of the mid-90s. They're both on Bandcamp. Go check them out. You should also know that the other two members in church, is Martin and Ian, were in a great post-rock band called Aeriogram. Their first release, A Story in White, is epic and worth a listen. One note to mention, at the beginning of the podcast, there's some audio issues, but they fix themselves a few minutes in. Hey, sometimes it happens, and this is free. Lastly, One of my favorite quotes from Lauren that I think sums up our chat perfectly was this. I think that's how you make good music. It isn't trying to predict the zeitgeist or follow a trend. It's just listening to yourselves and listening to each other and making something out of that. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. You make this podcast happen. If you want to support, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. This is episode 143 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Lauren Mayberry from Churches. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: No, thank you for asking. I'm glad we could finally figure out it took a little while, but we yeah. know we got here in the end, so thank you.
0: Patience, that's all it that's all it takes. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> uh how did you find out about Washed Up? Do you remember?
1: Um, I think it was through a friend of mine who was listening to it. He listened to he's a big fan of Get Kids and I think he's done an episode with those guys or with one of the guys from the band and he's been talking about that. So then I just gonna quickly follow it on the internet.
0: <laughs> which oh, yeah. which which band again? Uh, the Get Up Kids, I think. Oh, rad. The music scene in Glasgow, what was that community like? Like did you get into it? Like how did you get into music? How did you find out about stuff when you were when you were growing up?
1: Well, I guess I suppose in theory I'm a millennial. I'm like the older end of the millennial. But uh, yeah, so for me it was mostly like band message boards and the enemy or Kerrang and stuff like that, and going around to the one person's house at high cable and watching like MTV2 at night and things like that. Um, and in terms of like getting into being in bands, um, we just started kind of playing with people that we went to high school with, and then we grew up in the countryside, like outside bigger cities. So the big goal was like we were going to get to Glasgow and play some shows in Glasgow. And then I guess when you get there, you see enough posters of bands that are playing certain venues enough times that you kind of figure out the land in that regard. And I guess it's interesting with churches because we're all slightly staggered age-wise, so we're all like kind of a few years apart. So I knew about those guys' bands that they've been in before. Before I actually knew them as people. Um, And Martin, especially his old band that he used to be in, was called Julia Thirteen, and they were like peak peak kind of early 2000s emo stuff. And uh, they just, there was a lot of street teaming, a lot of stickering, a lot of flyering. And I feel like I knew everything about that band apart from the music because I'd seen their stickers everywhere all the time.
0: <laughs> I was a huge fan of Aeriogram. Like that was like that first record, Story in White, like just the epicness of it. And to kind of know that, you know, you you were aware of their band's ahead of time was was cool and did you did you think about that sometimes where you're hearing about these bands from a friend or it's on a mixtape or something like there was sort of like an unknown to it almost like you didn't know everything but you knew something and you were kind of searching
1: yeah like i was talking to a friend about this the other day and we were it made us sound like old curmudgeons but we were like in a way i kind of missed not knowing exactly what, what a record f- sounded like before I bought it. Like, I definitely bought records based off, off of just Word of mice recommendation or what the cover looked like sometimes. Like, I remember buying the first Distillers record, the thing, same thing, Death House, just because the cover looked awesome and also awesome. just like, looks like that kind of California punky stuff, which it wasn't, but kind of wasn't, but kind of wasn't. And, yeah, I kind of miss those days to an extent, but I suppose, in a way, things are broader and you don't have to get fed stuff just Just through media anymore so I suppose that's a good thing but um with Aerogram I remember finding out about them through just through friends I think at college and um weirdly I was at the last ever Aerogram show but I didn't know any of those guys they played a festival in Scotland and I went to watch and Martin from churches was playing keyboards for them at that point And Ian from Churches was obviously the guitar player in in Arizona, and our manager, the church's manager, Campbell, was the bass player for Arizona. So it's kind of weird that those are the most significant people in my life I didn't know, and I watched them from, like, (laughs) a soggy field in, in, like rural scotland and i was
0: like no that's a shame for them i wonder what they'll do after this And on. i mean that's what i mean it is about relationships and i think you being in bands back then and being you had to be in it you couldn't stay home sitting on your computer i mean i know that that doesn't happen today but there were message boards and you're right there were those online street teams that i was part of as well but there was that you 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 had to go outside (laughs) you had to meet people yeah well
1: yeah to go out. And I guess I remember doing that whole, like, meeting people at a show that you knew from online or from just seeing them at shows and then you would make friends with them and things like that. And I do think there's an element of that in the church's families. So I don't know if that's something that exists, I don't maybe because of the content of the music, not necessarily because of what it sounds like, or if that's something that has kind of been fostered because of the way that we try and do things. I feel like it's a chicken and egg thing, but that's kind of always how... I wanted to be in bands if we were ever lucky enough to get enough people listening to the band, but I just can of really force that on people. It's kind of the fan base decides what it wants to be like. if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, and totally. I think we're really lucky that we had that, and I don't know. Even though all the bands, the three of us have them previously sounded really different, I feel like there was a reasonably common ethos within them, and with something like Area, I'm like that didn't sound like anything else that was coming out of Glasgow at that time, and. I think that's what's really good about the Scottish scene to an extent is that there isn't really, like, a scene in terms of the genre of it. Like, I suppose there's, like, common theme of, like, relative melancholy and stuff. But beyond that, it doesn't feel like there's that kind of music that comes out of there. There's just so many different things. And I think that's positive. Um, And it gives you more freedom in a lot of ways.
0: I mean, and then you're going to a show and you're not expecting the same chug-chug yeah. hardcore bands. You might get... Punk band, you might get a post band, you might get an emo band, like those kind of that feeling of the unknown, but then also there's an acceptance of whatever that sound is.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think not, I think you don't get a ton of touring bands coming through classical, but
0: I think we definitely
1: always got a lot of rock bands. Like, I remember just walking past venues and seeing when I was like a teenager and seeing like Killing Joke and Converse, we were like, Converse oh, going all the time. And I think I've seen Converse in Glasgow twice, maybe three times. So I feel like there must be there's something about that city that connects with those kinds of music or those
0: themes, I think. Yeah. Maybe because
1: we're all a little it's too grey. We're quite grey emotionally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what did you what stuck out about independent music or, you know, punk in quotes word? Um what 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 connected that with you early on? Um than other genres or even just the the ethos the like the like the diy kind of thought
1: well, i think the thing for me that really got me excited about things like that was finding out about riot girl and like figuring out i remember a friend of mine we this is maybe not the most academic way to find it but we watched 10 things i hear, about you which i still enjoy and basically everything that the Julia Styles character did in it, I thought was awesome. I was like, I'm going to go get all these books that she's picked up in these scenes. And there's a bit where uh, Heath Ledger character says to her, "They're oh, no raincoats or a bikini kill, but they're, they're all right. And then I was like, Why oh, are the raincoats? What is a bikini kill? I have to go find this out. Um <laughs> and I remember going and then, like, asking in like, a store about it, and then waiting for them to order in a bikini kill CD, so I could go get it. And then I think, I don't know, like a lot of that stuff's just instantly connected with me because... Like, even now, when we play shows, especially right now, we're doing like Christmas radio stuff. Like, most of the time, the only women in the building are like myself and our tour manager, who is a female, and all the rest of the time, it's just dudes. And I have a lot of great dudes in my life. I'm not swag enough dudes. I'm just saying that's very odd. If it was the other way around, people would think something very funny was going on. So, and even as a teenager, I can think of maybe two to three other women that were in bands. and. I think that's really bizarre. So, um, yeah, and I think it kind of helped me frame a lot of the experiences I was having because if I look back at it now as an 18-year-old, I don't always think I understood what that kind of sexism was. I, like, I didn't really, you couldn't really properly perceive it when it was happening to you. You knew that it made you feel it shit, but you didn't really know what was motivating or why it was happening or really how to name it, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think finding out that, like those bands and Slater Kenny and discovering stuff like garbage and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really kind of made me, like, I don't know, made me see that there was like, maybe it's an option for you to do these things or try these things when a lot of the real-life experiences you're having are telling you that this isn't for you and it's made very clear to you that this isn't, the status quo does not welcome you kind of
0: thing. And that, yeah, right, that that was definitely that case then. Do you remember the first time you heard the word emo? I
1: think so. I think it would have been connected to like Jimmy Eat World, I think, because that was a big big Jimmy fan back in the day and I think one of my first like unattended you can go with your friends and it's not like a kind of pop show that I went to was Jimmy Eat World at the Battlelands in Glasgow um, and I remember getting there very early and going down to the front and then about five minutes in being like oh my god I can't survive down here I'm a tiny tiny woman I can't <laughs> and just getting trampled on quite a lot and having to get pulled out by a security guard so now I watch from the sound desk if I have to watch at all I know the safety aspects of
0: it were there any other favorite bands that from that era or other bands that you sort of um you know maybe you had loved back then and now had played with or were there ones that uh you sort of miss well i
1: guess it feels like i don't know in my life it felt like it came in this came in a bit of a wave because i remember really loving the kind of alternative emo stuff, like all the Saddle Creek stuff, like cursive mm-hmm. and bright eyes and all those things, and as well as like the more kind of Jimmy-esque things. But then I remember getting to college and then kind of noticing that people seemed to be talking about emo like it was a bit daggy. And then I was like, but really all this means it is it has emotional content. Beyond that, the genre is really, really broad. It's not, but I think people associate it with really overly straight fringes and hair dye and things like that, which is definitely a part of it and a part that I enjoy. But I kind of feel like it's really nice that it feels like it's come back around again. And then to me, I'm like, maybe that's a good thing about streaming and how music has changed is that genres aren't quite so, I don't know, they aren't as black and white as they used to be. And I don't know, to me, I remember I remember having a conversation with somebody about whether Rairo Kylie was emo or not. And I was like, it is, but it isn't, but it is. And ultimately, I feel like she's such an amazing lyricist. And she transcends genre in so many ways. But ultimately, she was one of the only female voices in quote-unquote emo. And I remember feeling really connected to that. And obviously, I remember watching Spend an Evening with Saddle Creek and all those things. And I think the ethos of the way that people were making things and they were doing it outside the system because the system didn't really want to let people in, I think that's really inspiring. And I think that's how you make good music. is isn't trying to predict the zeitgeist or follow a trend. It's just... Listening to yourselves and listening to each other and then making something out of that.
0: That's amazing. Like, I mean, for you to, f- you know, see that, that the, uh, like, like a female voice like that and, and being such a connection to, I can do this. And I, I agree. The, the bands I were in in, um, in, in college and I, I had to have a female voice. I just, I was like, this isn't, this can't be. Um, just a, a guy fest and having that other f- and then it's also opinions and other genres and things that we didn't even know about um, it just it, it it broadened it and I think you're right then there weren't that many um, and it's funny I've had that I've I've had someone threaten me at a DJ night um, about playing Rilo Kylie um, and it was really funny they were like very aggressive um, which I was like did you know where you are like this is not the place to be aggressive <laughs> <laughs> Uh But I think, and I think that's great that you sort of, I mean, it is interesting when this website and stuff started, you know, no one wanted to talk about the genre. Like they were under a rock because of the hair dye and all that stuff. And I was at equal vision records at the time selling tons of records and, you know, bands were on these huge tours and it was great, but a certain era just sort of went away. So when that sort of revival came back and bands sort of mentioned it again, and they were referencing the cursives, the braids, the early Jimmy's and even maybe the pop stuff um, it, it sort of, kind of came back around a little bit. Um, and I mean, it's still negative. Everyone hates the word. Um, (laughs) but, uh, it's, it's been interesting to see, um, especially now, um, with how many bands on the, um, in the scene, the, the sort of the emo revival scene are women, um, and how they're being asked on huge tours. And I think Kississippi is one, if you haven't heard them are amazing. um, and just sort of...
1: Yeah, go look it up.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch... It's just very cool that um, that's happening again, and I feel like they were looking back just like you were. They're like, where's the women? There isn't? Fuck, I'm doing it.
1: (laughs) Well, and I kind of feel like having been at shows when I was a teenager, I'm like, girls were there. They were at the shows. They were at the shows. They were fans of the bands. They were having the songs written about them, but they just were shut out of being on stage. And I think it's chicken and egg thing. Like... People say, oh, well, there's no women on these bills because the women don't want to make that music or they're not putting themselves forward. But you don't necessarily put yourself forward if it's been made clear to you that you're not allowed or you're not welcome or you're not invited. And I think that's why, I guess it's kind of great and weird now that we're pretty good friends with the guys that are in Paramount. But like, if you think about it, I'm like, they were kids when they were doing that. Totally. And there were no female voices in that at all. And she was, she was a kid. and um, like... She's, she's got the biggest, strongest backbone of anybody that I know, and I feel like now, Paramore um, gets the critical or academic respect that it didn't get back in the day because they were like, oh, it's just like any more pop punk pop pop rock band with a, with a female singer. Like she can sing well, but it's just that. And I feel like I don't know. Maybe it's like it's amazing that they weathered the storm and continue to make great records and write great songs, and that's why they are where they are now. But I'm like, man, it really, I don't know, it must really, it must feel really lonely. Like, even like when we do things, I'm like, sometimes it, it feels lonely. People say that you should be grateful to be the only one on the bill, but I don't want to be the, the only one. I don't want to do that. So, I don't know. I think I have so much respect for that because at least we're in, like, alternative pop rock, which is not a pleasant place to be for women, but it's definitely a more welcoming place than what I imagine early, mid-2000s. Emo
0: Rock was. Yeah, and how you know it was a Dude Fest. Warp Tour was a Dude Fest. And I think Paramore being <laughs> being part of that. And you're right, Haley having that backbone. And she also had that sort of history of knowing a lot of the bands before and sort of that same ethos. But you're one thousand percent right about sort of it's almost like you release the record and then ten years later they decide to like anoint you and this record. And I'm like, where were you ten years ago when you were making fun of it? Like, why is it now 10 years later? I never understood that. Like, there's a lot of these 10 year, you know, the reissue gets a better score or whatever the the reviews or the consensus. And I mean, that kind of gets into your sort of journalism background. Like, I would just I I would look at that and be like, why are you now getting on board? Where were like, what could have that band been if they were championed like they were? Do you think about that at all? Yeah, honestly, I
1: think, it, I don't know, it, people were comfortable enough to just be honest about what they like and what genuinely connects with them. And I don't really know if it's as bad as when it was, what it was like when I was a teenager, but I feel there's so much of that. Like, we get asked some, some questions about, what are your guilty pleasures? I'm like, I don't believe in having guilty pleasures anymore. I did when I was like 18, because you don't know anything about yourself. You're trying to figure out who you are <laughs> and what's going on. But then now I'm like like what you want to like it gives a fuck like it's really short like, you might as well just find the joy where you can find it you know yeah. and I think it is so interesting when you talk about like after the fact you're given the respect that you weren't necessarily going to be given at the time and um, was I think it was last year that Tegan and Sarah did the anniversary of the gone and then around that time they talked about reviews that they'd gotten at the time and it's fucking horrendous when you look at the way they were written about and a lot of the time people weren't even listening to the music they were just so ready to write about what they thought about these women and pigeonhole it and condescend and be really fucking gross and misogynistic and like violent and aggressive a lot of the time but then now people are like oh that was such an amazing record and it really you know it really solidifies what teen and Sarah are to so many people and that record means so much to so many people but I don't know. I thought at the time people had been as vocally supportive of it. I feel like maybe I don't want to speak for the, on their behalf, but you know, it must have been absolutely horrendous to be spoken to or about like that.
0: So that record's apparently,
1: you just add ten years onto it, and everyone gets their respect that they deserve.
0: I know it's like that's the thing. It's like, oh, just wait ten years. I'm like, well, what if? Like, I love that record, The Con. I remember seeing it, and actually, Chris <sighs> yeah. Walla was in two rows ahead of me, and he helped them write the record. Oh. And all I do is see him bob his head, and like he's so into it. I'm like, how cute is that? Like the guy that wrote the record, and those are hits. Those are bar none hits. And to have that. I just, I don't know, I, I, I know you can't go back in time, I know it's all the time and place, but that record, that should have, there should have been a smarter thing, and is it because the internet's so quick, and you can just write something, and there's no sort of checks and balances, and maybe there's a good to that, but I, don't, I just, I get really frustrated about it, as you can tell, because <laughs> it's like, I, it should have been respected when it came out. So I think what's awesome is you started drums first. And that was kid, yeah. that was always the kid like I don't know that his brother had him or you know were your parents and and it's also the loudest <laughs> drum uh, <laughs> th- were your parents supportive of that early on?
1: I I'm sure they didn't enjoy the noise that much, but no, they were really supportive of that. Like I played piano when I was a kid, and I think just as I kind of started going up and getting into those kind of and uh, that kind of music, I wanted to wanted to do something. And I remember trying a little bit of guitar at school. But then my hands were too small or my hands were too little. And I was too much of a wimp. And I was like, I want to just be playing something that I feel like I can just really get stuck into and just be doing something right away. 'Cause Because, I don't know, I'm quite an impatient person. Um, and, yeah, just bought a crappy drum kit from a shop. And um, we lived in the middle of nowhere. So you could set it up in the garage and nobody will be bothered apart from your appropriate. So, yeah, I feel like they suffered a lot. And even before I got my driving license, like, I would... I have to beg my dad to drive me and my crappy teenage band to, like, on shows. And now, like, when my dad gets to come to church or shows, I'm like, he earned this, you know? He has, like, swept around a lot of gear that wasn't even his. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his problem. So when he gets, I'm like, he gets a nice seat at the sound desk and a beer. And that, that's fine. He's, he's allowed.
0: I love that. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier a little bit about, you know, sort of, like, your background in journalism and working for um, publications. Are you... Because of that, are you aware and conscious of what you're choosing to do, your responses? Because it is, you know, there is a lot that's thrown at you as a band and across, you know, how many people are doing the interviews? What are they asking about? What have they done before? Are, are, are you conscious of that because of that? Or were you sort of always aware of that?
1: I think I was more, like, I guess I was like 26. 20- when I met Ian in 24 when we started the band so I don't even know if I was like old enough or wise enough to necessarily anticipate the things that were going to happen but I definitely had a kind of feeling in my gut that I was like we need to be really careful about this because and maybe in hindsight I look back and I'm like would have been nice to be less paranoid and scared of things but I think we were right though I was like there's a lot of people that are going to try and do things to us or make us do things that aren't in our interest and it's just because there's a girl at the front of the band, basically. And like, we were super careful on the first record, especially, about what we did and didn't do. And, you know, like when you're a band of that size, people don't really like it when you say no to stuff because you haven't earned the right yet. But then, from my point of view, I was like, I don't know. You just gave me I was like, Nah. I feel like if we start to separate the band in that regard, then it's going to be really difficult to put it back together and... But then now I feel like you're down if you do, you're damned if you don't. Like, at least we established it in the way that we felt comfortable with. But then now, can, it's interesting when people talk to us about things. i like, they take issue with things that you do as a front person that they wouldn't take issue with if you were a male, I don't think. Like, people went absolutely nuts about the fact that there was a video that had more of me in it than it had Ian and Martin. But And I'm not comparing us to these bands because it's obviously legends. but we do head you that all the time. If the Arctic Monkeys do that, nobody freaks out. Nobody's like, why is Alex Turner in this video so much? Oh, because he's the singer. Because he's singing, he's communicating the song. But if you do it as a female front person, they're like, oh, they're putting the girl there to sell the sell the record. Or that's totally the opposite of her feminist principles. Is like, it. I didn't know that being a feminist and a front person were mutually exclusive and you could only do one or the other. So, I don't know. I think it's interesting to be able to step back and try and look at it with more removed perspective i mean i wouldn't have had that if i hadn't worked in in the industry in a different way but yeah i don't know i think it'd be more peaceful to not know sometimes <laughs> but then i think we'd be in a weirder position
0: maybe <laughs> how did wh- what about writing appealed to you early on
1: mm, well i think at the time i was like playing in bands and i was trying to my end goal was like kind of working in documentaries. So by the time churches got signed I was doing like production assistant production runner stuff. Um but then in the interim time I guess I was like, Well I like I love reading music writing, I love reading interviews. So it made sense to me that I was like, well I could probably try and do this because I play music so I think I can empathize or understand. But I don't know. At the end of the day I don't think I was a very good music writer because I didn't really I don't really like swagging stuff off. And I feel like a lot of music writers actually quite like that. Whereas I feel like even if I didn't enjoy a record, I'd be like, well, this isn't for me, but somebody still put time and energy into making this. And that's a terrible review. It's not helpful, you know?
0: No. (laughs) But it is, I mean, I I feel that some ways where I, with the site, like, I don't want to, if I'm going to like it, I'm going to post about it. If I don't, I don't post about it.
1: (laughs) Well, and I do feel like music criticism, how it works has changed in the kind of, snark clickbait culture like now in order to survive and be a quote-unquote respected writer like you have to have like you have to have a twitter storm about something that you've written and i kind of feel like maybe i'm just romanticizing the past but when i would read reviews of records and like nme or whatever like it would be describing the record because i hadn't been able to hear the record because you couldn't just go on the internet and get it it would be somebody describing what it sounds like how this fits into the the band's narrative, or how it made them feel, or something like that, and I kind of feel like maybe this makes me sound like a hippie, but ultimately, when I listen to music, it's because I want to feel something. I want to feel some like feel connected, feel feel like somebody's describing their experience which resonates with me. Or, and ultimately, I'm like, isn't it this shit's supposed to be joyful? It's supposed to make less like life less crap and less full of bullshit and a, a pointless aggression. So it kind of it depresses me when you read music criticism that just feels like it's doing that, and I'm like, well, why are you pu- pumping negativity out into the world when you could be trying trying to find something that you feel enriched in some way? But maybe I'm just I'm an old curmudgeon, you know? I don't know.
0: <laughs> Lauren, we we <laughs> the site's called Washed Up. I feel the same way.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've we've come to the right place. <laughs> we've come to the
0: right place. I want to talk about some of the early bands because I wasn't aware until. Um, I don't know when I started listening to Churches that you had some previous bands and was checking them out. And I just want to mention, like, the boyfriend-girlfriend stuff. One of that is very, like, mathy and indie and late 90s. And you would totally fit next to, um, you know, stuff like Jejun or Pogo, if you've heard of those bands. Like, that epic build that you ha- I mean, was that uh, – what were some of the things back then that you were, you were super into? Because that's what I heard in it just from – you know, being so, coming, coming from zero. No, that's really
1: exciting. Like, I feel like the stuff that we were listening to was like, well, obviously we were not good enough players to actually be doing this, but like, at the drive-in and Hole and Fugavi and a little bit of Idlewild because that was like Idlewild era. And still, oh, hell I yeah. With 100 Broken Windows, still a great record, I think. Um, And yeah, just that kind of like, it's such emotional content, but it's fuzzy around the edges. Like, it's melodic, and I feel like that's how you trick people into accepting the scuzzier parts of it, and vice versa. So, yeah, we were definitely into all those things. We had a song that was basically just a rip-off of One on Scissor, but, like, there was, it was pointless time changes. We did a lot of, like, switching to 16 and then switching back. I don't really know why, but it seems like a great idea at the time.
0: <laughs> I mean, I love that you mention Idlewild, and I, I recommend that record to people all the time um it's just it kind of fits in that middle you're right it kind of tricks you into stuff um and and leads you down another path and i kind of loved that about bands uh at the drive-in too like you kind of heard them and you're like wait a minute this is really catchy but angular and heavy are there other bands like this like those kind of bands it made you think there's there's something else behind or that next page yeah and i
1: think that's why i loved reading interviews with bands when I was younger because that's how I found out about so many things with people you love talking about bands that they love and then you figure it out like I remember like a Tom York interview where he talked about craft work and Depeche Mode and I was like what are these things I'm going to go look into this and I kind of like that puzzle and I used to use Last lot when I was at college and I used to love putting it on like random and just letting it go and I definitely found out about lots of things especially the kind of Saddle Creek adjacent stuff mm-hmm. I would put on like a Bright Eyes record or whatever, start there and then see what it would show. And I think that's how I found, like, The Faint and all those things. Because I, did, I didn't know that much about the Sava Creek catalog at that time. And I think it was all Last FM. So there you go.
0: Last FM. I remember, like, trying to get. Like as many plays as possible to show up. Like I was mad when something I listened to didn't have like a connection to Last Mm -hmm. FM. I don't know if you ever fed that, but I was like, Mm -hmm.
1: it It totally. Yeah, I knew. I knew a lot of people that erased their Scrubbles. and I'm like, don't be ashamed. Just, just be honest, and you'll get better (laughs) recommendations.
0: I think mine are still out there. Like I should go look at them. I think it was probably. I'm sure Jimmy World was number one. Um, by far, but I just, I, yeah, it would be like, I knew that I was at work f- or listening to like a work record for a few years and be like, oh my God, why is that record? So- oh, I was working it. Like, <laughs> you're right. your history. <laughs> you should not delete it. Um, I w- and-, well,
1: and I definitely have a, a, a deceased
0: MySpace page and I kind
1: of wish I still had it. I remember deleting it when I got to university and then be like, I don't need this anymore. And then now I wish that it was just still there, like frozen in time. So I could see it and see what
0: was the profile song and what were all the, the bands that were in the top friends. and I'll never know. We we'll just have to exist <laughs> in the back of my mind. <laughs> but also too, like if I, if we were friends, I'd be like, "What's Lauren checking out? Oh, she's listening to that new at the driving track." Oh, I, like it was almost like an instant way to know what someone was into by the top eight and that profile song it was i mean obviously it was so archaic and you could see the pieces that were broken and the you know the bling that you could put on your stuff but you're right it was so easy about music discovery
1: yeah yeah and i think i don't know i guess when i get new music excited for you or something like that i suppose this there's an element of that but i don't know maybe it's just because it's more established now. Like, i don't know it feels like not as an exciting discovery as it used to
0: yeah i, I I miss that. Like I just, I always try to think about when I put on a band. I kind of just try to close my eyes, not look at my phone, try and like somehow get back to that moment of, you know, pressing play on the CD for the first time and being, you know, that blown away feeling. Um, but I think for Blue Skies yeah. Archives, you know what I heard? I heard some pinback. I definitely heard Discord, um, Discord mm-hmm. Records. I heard like that epic build again. Is that something you pushing? You know, because that's all I ever want in music. I just want someone to make an epic build and then have it be like euphoric at the end. Well, my friend, who I found the podcast through,
1: is is the guitar player in Blue Skies. So, I guess all of those things you just talked about make a lot of sense because that's definitely what what he loves. And weirdly, the way that I met Paul was through it was just through friends, and we were in a pub, and then somebody, a mutual friend, introduced us because both of our bands had just broken up, and then he was like. Paul loves Ray and all that kind of saddle creaky shit that you Mm -hmm. like, you guys should start a band. And I was like, does he? Well, you should start a band. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've definitely, Churches is definitely different because we didn't write guitar led. Like there's guitars in the song, but we were writing on keyboards first and foremost. So maybe that's why the, the kind of emotional build aspect isn't there as much as it used to be. Because I guess a- Aerogram was all about the emotional guitar build as well.
0: Yeah, no, so th-
1: we were. Really, we have to put the guitar away so that we do something different.
0: <laughs> I still hear it though, Lauren. I hear it in the. I hear. I think it's it's that chorus on top of chorus um, that I think is a mm. is is like a piece of that. Kind of like, I mean, if you listen to Goodbye Sky Harbor by Jimmy Eat World, there's all these sort of like you. You probably remember that song. It's like 16 minutes long. Okay. Builds on itself forever. That. Kind of moment you're there's little choruses in that song that kind of lead in, and is that something like when you're writing with with Martin and Ian um and you said keyboard led but are there other pieces that you feel from your punk roots that sort of sneak in as you're writing or from if it's Martin or Ian on their sort of history um do you kind of do you sniff out you're like, oh man, that sounds like you know that sounds like a bright eyes thing, or even if it's on a keyboard, do you still feel that?
1: I think so. Like we always kind of talk about how this band is kind of the most freeing way we've ever written, because I kind of feel like people don't, when, especially when it first came out. People didn't really know what churches was. They were like, "Oh, this is like this, this, this is this pop wave." And then when we survived that wave, they were like, "Oh, like what is it?" And I remember like reading like, "Well, I think they meant to be like a." Negative reviews, and they were like, "Churches is just an emo band in disguise. It's just an emo band with different instruments." And I was like, "Bingo!" But it took you a long time to figure it out, you know. <laughs> and even like, we talk about how there's kind of like almost like musical jokes in it, kind of because the people that always want to write you off as a pop band are never going to see these things, but the people that want to look for a second longer can find them. And a song like "Bury It" when we were writing that. We were talking about the fact that this is basically like a metal riff, but it's on keyboard, so you don't notice. But if you took that opening riff and put it on guitar, it would be like, is what it is. But then you put it on a keyboard, and people are like, oh, cool, it's like a sensor, whatever. And I kind of like that because it's like, you're just kind of, you're still the same people making the same kind of things, you're just wearing different
0: hats, I guess. I love that. I mean, it is, that's kind of funny, but listening through it. I mean, this was even. I think even before I realized you were aware of the podcast, or even aware that I, just to hear that you're, those little inside jokes, as you said, is a really cool way to. Um, you know, you're right. The certain people are going to pick up on it, and then the others that are going to be like, "Oh my god, that's super catchy!" Then hats off to them. It, it's it's almost like you're kind of uh, you're you're uh, he- you're helping people out. <laughs> you're not you're not making it hard. Well, I think that's what's fun about. It.
1: I don't know. I guess because we don't necessarily come from like the pop side of the industry, so the fact that we've kind of ended up at like one leg in there, one leg somewhere else is kind of weird. But I kind of feel like it's it means that we don't need to abide by those rules or do do things in a certain way. And like when we sit down and talk about writing, like I feel like when I talk about songwriters, it's you know people like Jen Lewis or right. Nick Cave or something like people that are really proper storytellers in their lyrics and you know, can find something hooky but it doesn't mean it needs to be empty and vacuous like a lot of pop stuff can be. And then when the guys are talking about production, like, they don't talk about, like, chain smokers or something. They talk about, like, Depeche Mode and, like, Disintegration the 2 is something we talk about all the time because we're like, there was radio singles on that but it was a record that really mattered and just because there were radio singles didn't really need to be shit. And I'm like, I don't know if you could make that now. How would you make that now? I don't know if, like, it would get signed off in this current world i'm not really sure but i feel like that's the stuff that we want to do but whether we get to do that in the long term depends on where the industry ends up i suppose
0: yeah no and i mean being being able to tour the world making albums have people show up do you feel relaxed as a musician or is it a constant feeling of i gotta do what's next
1: i feel like it's important to remind yourself how lucky you are um, and, you know, you have to be pragmatic and realize that this is this is going to go away at some point. You don't know when it's going to go away, but I don't want to live in every day panicking about when it's going to stop. Because I kind of feel like that's when you start making decisions that aren't what's good for the music or good for the band. It's like panic-based, just trying to stay relevant. And I feel like three records in, we're lucky to still be here. And people still come to the shows. People are still listening to the records. And they've invested in the band in a way that we never really thought we would get, you know? So I feel like then if you start making panic decisions trying to stay on the radio, that's how you are going to lose those things. But I don't know. I try not to think about it too much because it stresses me. Out. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like the only thing you can do is just try and put your blinkers on. You can only do your best. And when you're writing something, you can't really be thinking about what would somebody want me to write because then you're going to make something... It just feels like paint by numbers. So it doesn't feel real. So I don't know. Every time we have to go in and make a record, I'm like, Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> what are we gonna do? But then we just have to you kind know, of muddle muddle through it and try and not think about the past or the outside world in any way and just try and make something. And like that's the reason you allegedly started doing it in the first place, is so you can make something, you create something. Um and you'll, you know, you never think there's gonna be an audience for it. So if it is one you're like, how do you keep it? But you have to kind of not think about that, I really.
0: think. And you've got this fire inside of you. You have to do this.
1: Yeah, and I feel like that's something that
0: I've
1: so to talk to different musicians about because I feel like the actual practicality of touring a record and promoting a record probably dampens that for a lot of people. Because one minute you're in a really creative space, and then you work in PR for like a year and a half, and you don't write and you don't create, and then you go back and you're like, right, create something which can't be written about the last 18 months of just like promo and stuff like that. So I think it's important to take time and like, I don't
0: know, just
1: be, just live a bit and observe things and observe people and see what
0: happens. Yeah. And are you, you, do you talk about that? You've done social, you're doing social media for the band. It's kind of something that you've done. Do you think about your archives at all or your history as a band? Do you save things? Do you remember photos? Do you save posters? Um, Do you do that as, as a band?
1: Yeah, but even but we have like a I have a hard drive and I will keep like two photos or stuff on the socials and I put it on there. And I moved house recently and I was like, oh yeah, I'm collect- I'm hoarding, I'm hoarding like limited edition posters that we get at venues and things. And the only thing that's up in my house just now because I only moved in a couple of weeks ago uh, is a poster from what we played with Death Cab and True and Culture. And Death Cab were a huge one for me when. I was in, in bands, and I was trying to figure out what kind of things I wanted to write. And the fact that, like, we played we played a cool headliner with them, and we now know them. And I sang on the rhythms and with them. I'm like, Oof. 18-year-old me is completely bored <laughs> by that one. So I'm like, that's the thing that's in quite a place in my completely empty living. And I'm like, that, that poster can go there. And I'm like, all right. We did pretty well Even if it ends now I'm
0: like We took some shit Off the bucket list That's pretty good <laughs> Oh man I love Death Cab they're, they're on the label That I work for I work for it- Atlantic And so they, they released their, Oh yeah. So they released Their last record And I was super nerdy um, And I usually don't Try to do this But their tour in Brooklyn Their show in Brooklyn I was like Can you please play Your Hurricane Like just play it just, I know it's on yeah. the new record But you have to play it Like it's the best song And they hadn't been Playing on a bunch of tours And they started The uh, on core with it and i knew it was just random Uh, but i still said it you know you still you still put it out in the world (laughs) someone yes (laughs) but i think too you know you mentioned you know with death cab like you singing with them on a on a on a track and you've done stuff with the national and, and and paramore when someone asks you to do that i've always wondered this what's your mindset do you go in with your idea in your head or are you waiting for direction what's your what's your mindset going into something like that
1: I feel like we've been so lucky that all the people we've worked with have been so open to stuff so and I guess we kind of have I feel like we've got the same respectful ethos from it if it's somebody else's song I feel like I should totally do what they what they want and what they envisioned in their mind and then when we work with people they've been totally that same way too and then you can offer them you know, free reign to do whatever, but I feel like that's the respectful first step. So, like, when Haley recorded a verse for the reissue of Burn It, she did the second verse on the recording, and she did it in her house in Nashville remotely when when we were on tour, and she did, like, she did the most respectful, like, accurate, like, strictly adhering to the rules version, and then she did, like, the proper killer Haley version, and I was like, most people wouldn't do that. Like, and most people would be like, this is my voice and you want in my voice on it. So there you go. But she's such a consummate professional and nice human being that she was like, I'm going to give you all the options. I mean, you can just totally choose what you want. And yeah, same with snap from the national, when he did a song with us on this record, like they sent through what it was, the rough, the rough comp that he would like think that he liked. But then he sent us like everything else. And he was like, you can just wave through and find whatever you want. And I don't really mind just do what you want. And I was like, this is amazing. You feel like there's no ego involved in that. And, they're two of my absolute favorite front people of all time. And I think that's why like, they're going to outlast so many people that are in the bands around them because like, I used to think it was cheesy, but I'm like, there is something about that special factor of something. Like when you see somebody perform or you hear them sing something, I'm like they mean it in a way that just communicates in a different level. So the fact that people like that can be really fucking nice and not full of ego and really be trying to, Tell stories and serve the songs and serve the emotion is really weird, I think so. We've been very lucky, no divas. no divas man.
0: No. <laughs> I mean, you're right. It the, the, the it's the telling of the story, and it's the it's the sharing of that story. I mean, it's really simple. It's really basic. Are you able to connect and tell a story, and is someone able to then hear it and then want to share it? And for those artists that you mentioned, they're they're they've kind of got that little secret sauce to it.
1: Yeah, and I feel like there's definitely singers I hugely admire and will go down YouTube holes for days watching them do technical singing, but I'm never going to listen to a whole record of that, you know? I'm never going to want to play those songs while looking out the window on a train or any of that, like, emotional stuff. We pretend we don't do, but we all do it. <laughs> and like, I don't know, and, like, there's something different. And we always talk about the difference between, like, a good vocalist and a good singer like a good vocalist can do all these kind of crazy gymnastic things, which are really impressive to me. And I feel like learning a bit more about that part of singing has really helped my voice. But ultimately what it's helped is like trying to give you like a bigger paint palette to work with. Does that make sense? Like yeah. I feel like you shouldn't be trying to serve yourself as a singer. You should be trying to figure out how to use your voice to tell the story, I think. And I feel like that's the true talent is being able to like, from the road a little bit but then like i think that's because you must know yourself as a musician or the kind of story you're trying to tell so you don't need to read it from the book every night you can take it somewhere else but you know that maybe it's an authenticity thing maybe it's a being genuine thing so you can play a script-back version of something and people you're still you're still there people still know it's you because you were doing something that made sense to you in the first place
0: yeah and what would you be doing if you were in a band do you know
1: I think about it a lot, if I'm honest. Uh, not a lot, because I'm like, I hate it here. I don't mean it like that. I just mean like every so often. I'm like, I guess when birthdays happen, I'm like, weird. I haven't had a birthday off-road in such a long time. I never thought I'd be on the road. So it's kind of cool. But I don't know. I think I would... I was working in kind of film and TV stuff when the band got signed. So I feel like I'd still be doing that kind of stuff. I feel like I'm the worst front person in the world in a lot of ways because I don't really... I think I've had to work hard at being better at it because I don't miss... I'm not, like... If you go to the pub, people wouldn't be like, oh, she's the singer. But, like, I don't think you would get that because I don't really want to be the... I'm not, like, really the life in the soul of the party kind of guy, you know? So I feel like just trying to help... Like, I don't know, being involved in the telling of the story is what matters to me rather than being the person that has to be telling it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I guess this is the only band that's really properly sung in alone. Like, in Busk Garca's, there was two singers. So I'm like, oh, no, I've end- I've ended up doing this. What am I doing? So I feel like I would still be trying to, like, I would want go back to playing keyboards and doing backing vocals, or, like, trying to help people produce, make things, and create things. Or I think I'm in a, a library. I work in a fucking library.
0: That would be really good. I just emailed somebody and said I wanted to work in a library. I, d- I just did that. <laughs> that was fine. My- Oh. I would love to do that. It's so peaceful and it's just, it has
1: knowledge. Like, I think about being at college and I would love to go back and be like, calm down, don't panic. Like, everything's fine. You'll scrape by, it'll be fine. And also, by the way, there's other books in this building that aren't about the thing that you're studying. And this is free knowledge. You should really go get some of that and stop crying near this printer or whatever it was I was doing.
0: Do you think, do you, I remember being at the library and yeah, you're forced to read and you're like, you don't want to read for fun. But then I wanted to tell myself back in college, like, did you know how much free time you had? <laughs> Do you know how much? Yeah. How, like, it really wasn't that busy. No. This is great. Like, yeah, now I think about it. and like,
1: Especially because I just a type, I'm just i like, man, like, I'm the adult that's in charge of everything, now. Like, I'm the one that has to sort of this shit out. Like, no one else. Like, we were just, there were so many years of our lives where, like, our job was, like, figuring out how to be a person and learning. And I'm like, wow.
0: Remember that? Amazing. Didn't appreciate at the time though. <laughs> no, we're assholes. We didn't know. We're just dumb yeah. kids. <laughs> uh, there are there any other dreams that you have that you think about? Either music, life, or the world. That you sort of when you close your eyes and anything.
1: Hmm. Um. We're just at really a kind of interesting crossroads with the band. Like I feel like we're gonna we're going the record until next summer, and then I think we're gonna take we're gonna take a minute and. Uh, just to kind of see where we want to go with the next one and probably get out of each other's pockets for a hot second because we all still get on really well and we love each other. But I also kind of feel like sometimes you need time away from people to figure out just to kind of shore up stuff to share. So when you go back into the room to do writing, it's going to be exciting to people. It's going to be a surprise what someone's coming up with, what they're playing, what they're talking about. And if you just live on top of each other every day, you already know. Um, so I don't really know what we'll do. And I guess it's a very an interesting point where I'm like, the idea, like what, what is being creative to us? And what do we want to make? And is that specifically that kind of music? Is it a different kind of music? Is it music at all? I don't really know. So uh, I'm not sure. And I guess we're so lucky we get to travel a lot, but we're always traveling to places where we then play a show in a windowless room, which we're really lucky to get to do. But I'm kind of psyched about the idea of like going, going somewhere and not having to sing a song at the end of it.
0: Love that! But then it's kind of weird.
1: I was talking to my friends the the guys that are in Blue Archives, actually, and we were talking about when the tour finishes and like knowing when the album's going to end. And then we were like, "Well, we should go on a road trip after that." So we were going to get a van and then we were going to go uh, to the Highlands and Islands of Scotland because I've never been to a lot of those places. And then we were making plans of all the places we were going to go. And then I was like, "Fuck! Am I? Am I planning like a tour? Like as soon as we finish, like a year and a half of tours?" But then I think it's a friend tour. So it's different.
0: <laughs> you don't, yeah, exactly. You don't have the forty-five minutes of fun, and the rest of the time you're you're waiting. You're actually hanging out and doing things.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think I don't know. It'll be good. I think it'll just be like it would be nice to just be in a van listening to records like and talking to pals. And I think it's important. Like we're lucky to have that balance, you know, because like the band stuff is amazing, but it's not real in the truest sense, if you know what I mean. And I feel like if you buy into that too hard you're gonna wake up you're gonna wake up one day and that's gonna be gone i think it's gonna be pretty lonely so that's
0: bleak isn't it i just no, mean i'm like i think it's
1: important to make sure you're living in the real world a little
0: no you do i mean you it's like you talk to those some people that are on tour and you just they give you the same line and you're like oh my god you've been on tour for like three weeks haven't you like can i tell you what happened in the world today like did you watch cnn like you're just kind of in this bubble and you're right, to have people yeah. to bring you out and stuff like that. Um, that. Is is uh, New York City home for you? Do you feel at home yet?
1: Um, well, I guess I just I just left. I just left, which is why I we're doing this on the phone and not in real life anymore. Um, but yeah, I was there for three years. I mean, most of the last records there. So I feel like it was, yeah, it's definitely a spiritual home for churches forever, I think. Um, and I finally got used to it. I wasn't going on the wrong way on the train anymore when they would switch the F line I kind of figured it out and then I moved so <laughs>
0: like my own fault that's what I asked I was like I didn't know if like New York like did something or you know so, you know they'll like it, did, it pushed you out but it was it was just you had left on your own <laughs> it wasn't New York New York yeah, City didn't I do decided,
1: it well, and I did get a giant New York rat in my apartment like two days before I moved so I was, if I wasn't going the rat was making
0: sure I was definitely out of there that was the sign Lauren that was it yeah <laughs> 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 cool there was uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention
1: no i don't think so no that was really i'm just really psyched that we got to finally make it happen um actually a cool interesting interview We get to talk about stuff that is is fun and interesting and good stuff that And how did you guys meet where does the v come from like, oh man not that
0: <laughs> oh i'm so happy you said that i was i really i I, th- I I guess because you listen to the podcast you kind of I mean I do a shitload of research and that's already been asked like people want to know other stuff and especially if you have punk roots people want to lo- they love that And I think that's the crossover um, that I love you know about certain people that you know you've got this sort of ethos behind you that I can see and we you said earlier kind of about how like certain people don't but like I saw it I'm like there's punk in there <laughs> and even though it's behind the oh, pop I mean, and the he- keyboard I loved it. <laughs> Well and I feel
1: like that's just I don't know, like this won't last forever but you only get to do it once. So when we talk about stuff like I don't know, even when it's like merch or meet and things like that, I'm like, we will never ever charge for a and like ever because I think it's grass and tacky and I don't ever want to do it. And but that's a really standard thing from like a lot of fans that play the shows that we play and do those things. But I kinda of feel like it doesn't really matter what kind of what the music to make sounds like, you can decide how you wanna be and we were raised on a, a steady diet of DIY. So just because we're not playing the 13th note anymore doesn't mean that we have to sell the farm, you know?
0: Is anyone that you think I haven't gotten to yet that interviewed-wise, is there anybody that I've missed? I mean, you haven't seen all the episodes or whatever, but is there anybody that you're like, oh my God?
1: Mm. Hmm. I don't know. Well, I'm like, I feel like I learned so much from the podcast, so you're probably much more learned than I on these things. Um and I like that it's it feels like you've got the kind of godfathers
0: of the genre but you it's very broad. And I loved all the American football episodes. I loved it. So oh much. they are I, yeah, I remember asking them to do that. They're like, What do you want to do? I was like, I wanna talk to everybody. <laughs> it's not just Kinsella. It's not just Mike. Like, and they were like, No one ever does that. Lauren, thank you again for the time and uh best of luck with this and it it means a lot that you've listened and the punk roots and stuff and that you've spent forty five minutes of your life uh, talking about it. With me
1: no thank you so much for asking and hopefully i'll catch you in real life soon.
0: sounds good bye lauren bye